Hungry homies, there is the Vegas you're used to, and then there's Aria Resort and Casino. Aria embodies distinction from technology-advanced rooms to signature moments in the Aria Sky Suites and Aria Tower Suites. Located in the center of the Las Vegas Strip, Aria offers illuminating experiences with their award-winning accommodations, best-in-class amenities, and unique tableside dining unlike anything you've experienced. Visit aria.com to see how they Vegas. Hungry homies, for over 115 years, Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland. Staying true to her rich heritage, Oris is one of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated, and their watches come in four themes, diving, aviation, motorsport, and culture. So Oris has a watch for everyone and every occasion. Shop the many different unique styles at O-R-I-S.ch, not .com, .ch slash carbs. comrades it is a beautiful time of year for another episode of house of carbs the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people on the ringer podcast network i am your hungry host joe house we are officially in december the leftovers from thanksgiving should all be consumed by now, my victual varsity, my taste buds. There shouldn't be any leftovers left because I hope you all enjoyed them over the course of the Thanksgiving weekend. It's officially December, a great, great eating month. All of those hearty, rich, warming, soul-nourishing foods and food pathways are in front of us, as well as the holidays. What a great time of year to have a couple drinks, my taste buds. So we're going to be talking this month about holiday planning. What are you doing in terms of food gifts? We're going to be talking about the winter palette. And of course, we're going to be doing a little bit of end of year summary, some uh, 2019 superlatives. We have a guest coming up, Chris Stang from theinfatuation.com and Zagat's who's going to set the stage with us. Let's get in that belly with Chris Stang. All right, my taste buds. Thanksgiving is in the rearview mirror. The calendar has flipped to December, which means we're going to be doing a few things here on, on House of Carbs. We have, of course, our end-of-year summary and, and superlatives to give out. We have in front of us some, some gift giving, all the taste buds in your life. You need to come up with some something delicious for them to look forward to. And we're also going to be focusing, as is our way, on some winter eating. 
our guest today is perfect for all three of those categories. He is an old pal of ours, the co-founder and CEO of The Infatuation Eats, and also serves as CEO of Zagat, like a cat in the hat. Chris Stang, what's happening, buddy? What up? Nice to be here. Good to be talking again, huh? Yeah, welcome back. So the last time we were together, the infatuation and Zagat had just combined forces, had just uh, joined at the hip, and fast forward now to to the end of 2019, there's a rumor out there about the beautiful little book coming back into existence and uh, being available at least at the outset to the hungry homies in 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 the greater uh, New York metropolitan area. Is that rumor true? It's all very true. And let me just start by saying I'm very impressed by uh, how well you've learned to pronounce the gat since the last time we spoke. Well done. Well, let's let's just go ahead and, and I share. Learn, I had to learn at the same time. So I think we, we should both be proud of ourselves. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've always wanted to, to uh, call it Zagat's. It's been there, you know, but but we, we, we clarified when we got together a year ago and, and now we know. Zagat, now like know. a cat in the we hat. Actually, We've got it. We actually, exactly. We made t-shirts at one point last year that just said it's pronounced Zagat, but without any pronunciation on it at all. <laughs> so you can, we're sort of, we, let's let people freestyle as they wish. How about that? I pretty like, I, I like that. That's, that's, that's very charming. Now, uh, you've confirmed the rumor and we are going to talk a bit about the return of, I've been calling it the little red book. Is that correct? What what do you guys call it? It's really burgundy in color. What what's the way that you guys like the, to refer um, to the book? The Burgundy Bible is the oh uh, the sort of cla- that's the classic uh, previous terminology. Now I don't want to be here upsetting anyone who uh, you know I don't want to sort of have to answer to anyone who has a certain feeling about a religious text of their own. So. If you don't want to call it a Bible, you can call it whatever you want. But uh, yeah, it's look, it's a legendary book that's been around for, you know, 40 years. This is this is Zagat's 40th anniversary, actually. Um, so we put the book out in New York, uh, largely because we had just heard since the day we bought the brand that people really, really, really wanted the printed guide back. But it's also the 40th an- anniversary of Zagat. So we thought, what a fitting way to celebrate than to uh, put this book back out into the world and and give the people what they want. It's going to be the the 2020 edition of yeah, uh, the, so, the, the so typically the way this typically the way this works and has always worked is that the fall of the fall of so for example the fall of 19 the 2020 book comes out. So that's how the publishing schedule has always worked and we we stuck to that. We basically didn't do anything different. Uh, and what we really aimed to do with the book was to give people the book they expected to see. So, um, you know, Google had changed a few things in the years that they printed the Zagat guides. We actually went back to, uh, for example, they had changed the rating system. So we went back to the 30 point rating system that Zagat was so well, so well known for. We went back to the original branding. There's no, you won't find any infatuation promo material inside of the book, not because we don't want to promote ourselves, but really just because we wanted to make sure that uh, that this book felt like what people would expect to 
to have in their hands when they bought it based on the brand's history. But also we wanted to telegraph to the world that the Zagat brand is in good hands and that we are capable and um, willing and excited to to make this thing as relevant, if not more so, than it has been over the last 40 years. Yeah, and, and um, there's a lot in what you just uh, had to say there, and we're going to unpack some of it, but I want to make sure that I got the T's correct. Will the, the printed version be available in time for, for Christmas and or Hanukkah? Can folks give it out as a gift this, this gift-giving season? The, the printed version has been available wherever books are sold since November 12th. Boom. There you go. So I didn't tell a lie. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, you, I'm very. No, I would never I would never put you in that position. <laughs> I appreciate it. So a couple of the things that, that you just touched on um, that I want to dive into a little bit. First of all, bringing back the 30 point system for food, service and decor. That that is an all time um, no brainer from, from my perspective as a hungry homie that has been devouring the Burgundy Bible for as long as it existed all the way up into um, its transition over the last handful of years. I was a person who bought the book and bought all of the DC books and I still have them. They're in a stack at my house. I'll take a picture. I'll put I it on that. the IG. I love that. Oh, yeah, please, please, please do that. Yeah. So, uh, but the, the 30 point system in the first place to me seem to permit a kind of nuance around distinguishing between various uh, places, um, you know, some high, some low. It gave you a standard barometer, but giving all that that flexibility, 30 different slices of, of three different categories, it really allowed for a kind of uh, uh, a focus that the five-star system, to me, cannot accommodate. Now, maybe that's because of how my brain is wired, but like I, I, I need a 26 in my life for, for food, <laughs> and, and I can live with a 20 for decor if I'm getting 26 for food. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we spent a lot of time. We've, we've, we've been thinking about ratings and rating systems and scales for a long time, even just because of the infatuation. And Certainly Google, you know, Google had done a lot of research on their own and, you know, the, the, their decision to, you know, put it towards the five star scale probably had many, many, many factors that were involved, including the fact that Google user reviews were already being made in that format. So I, we've always felt like the infatuation that the more range in the scale that you can have, the better for exactly the reason that you're talking about. And obviously, we didn't have to reinvent anything with the gap. We just went back to the original scale. You know, there's a lot of different ways. I think no matter what, with rating scale, with rating systems, you need to educate people as to what it means. So, you know, out of, as long as people understand that it's a 26 out of 30 and not out of 50 or something like that, it, I think it's all pretty straightforward. You just have to do the work to help people understand the the spectrum and understand what each thing means and with Zagat the re, the way that we came to the decision to take it back to 30 points for the book was just that why try to answer this question for ourselves now when when we know that there's 40 years of precedence here to go back to and you know look we're going to have to make some decisions for ourselves as we continue to build both the infatuation and Zagat and have to decide how are we going to make sure that people can understand the two rating systems and the way they relate to each other? So I'll be honest with you. I don't know what we're going to do moving forward 
um, with the rating scale for the future of Zagat and for the future of the infatuation and, and for the digital products to get made moving forward. But I can tell you that I agree, and I think we agree with what you're saying, is that people need context. And the more context that you can give them, the better. And the more information you can give them to make a decision, the better. So that's where we'll try to land. And you know, especially for the book, it just felt like, why wouldn't we take it back to what people know so well? Um, it's a book, after all. Yeah. And, uh, so far, people people seem very happy about it. So, well, and, and like it's made a good decision. Yeah, and and you know, part of that good decision will be restoring the books for some of the other cities in the, in the great United States of America. I'll let you in in the fullness of your uh, business judgment, and and as the uh, you know the, the eco- economies of scale kind of play out, make that judgment, reach that that correct decision in your own time. Yeah. And on your own timeline, yeah. I'm just telling you that's the correct decision that you need to make. I appreciate but, uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> you have your consult, you have your consult your cons- your retainer consulting retainer fee is in the mail, so we appreciate it. <laughs> uh, well, uh, on, but no, on I mean, that, look, I think what we know what we know is that there's a lot we don't know when it comes to printing and publishing books. This is a new world for us, and we've been fortunate with the GAT to have you know, a lot of people who did this for a long time previously to lean on to help us learn about these things and understand them. Most importantly, Tim and Nina Zagat, the founders who we still um, see and talk to frequently and ask their advice on these things. But what we also know is that, you know, print and publishing is in a different place now than it was even three or four or five years ago. I really believe there's a place for books. Obviously, we made one this year. And I think that there's something really nice about something you can hold in your hand and something, especially, you know, with the vastness of the internet, there's something really nice about a book, which feels finite, you know, and, um, there's even something we had talked about, which I can't remember exactly how it came up, but we were talking with somebody about, um, how different it is looking for something in a book than it is on the internet. And the example that this person was using was, you know, imagine you go to look up a word in the dictionary. Well, when you land on that page for the word you're looking up, you're, almost guaranteed to go scan above and below that word. And you might learn something that you didn't necessarily intend to learn because of the proximity of, you know, alphabetized information. And there's something interesting that I even find when I browse as a gap book myself is that you'll be reading about a restaurant that you specifically went to read about, but then inevitably you're probably going to read about four or five other restaurants that just happen to be near that on the page. And I think it's sort of a, sort of nice to stumble on something that maybe you weren't necessarily looking for. So when it comes to other markets and future publishing, I mean, we, we obviously need to see how this goes. We're very, very pleased with sales so far in New York. Um, and we'd love to do more of this and we'd love to really, um, you know, wave the, the banner for print, uh, and published, you know, book, book publication moving forward, but we also need to make smart business decisions. So we'll, uh, we'll take a look at some things over the next, you know, three months or so, and then decide what we're going to do moving forward. But in the um, month or so, you know, three weeks that this thing has been out, we've been really, really, really excited and encouraged by the sales. So that's a good okay. first step. Good. That's that's I you, you did a great job there. That was a lot of CEO speak. I um, respect and honor <laughs> all of it. But I, uh, I I'm interested in a couple other things now with the return of the 30 point system in print in the New York um, iteration. What about the online version of uh, Zagat? Is there any contemplation of going back to the 30-point system for the online resource? Yeah, it's all on the table. This is is something we're learning a lot about right now, which is that, um, you know, 
we're still, as we build this new digital platform, which will be what Zagat, you know, what ultimately Zagat becomes on online and, you know, um, in the digital world, uh, there's a lot we're still even learning about the way that people input information when you ask them to take a survey online. Um, and so what we want to do is make sure that we're gathering information that's high quality and what comes out the other side is high quality and that makes sense to people. We also, I think, need to be smart about thinking about down the road. If you see a Zagat and an infatuation rating in the same place, will you be able to understand what they mean in context to each other? So yeah, I don't well, have an answer yet, but you're, that's something you're, you're trying to work through now. Sure, but you're helped by the fact that both of those um, individual entities have their own standalone identity and they impart different information. Like, you, you know, yeah. we've been saying um, Zagat's been around for 40 years. It has a credibility and uh, a sort of a reference unto itself. You know what you're getting when you look at the snippet of information and the scores associated with Zagat. If you're a person that has used it before and then gone and eaten at a restaurant and come out with your own conclusions about how that went, and then you can marry that up with how the, the review went. And the same is true of the infatuation. And one of the things we're going to talk about today, we're either – um, just up on it, or it, it passed the 10 year anniversary of the infatuation.com, right? Yeah, that was in April. There we go. So that, the, so 10 years of the infatuation, that's a lot of information for the taste buds, the victual varsity out there to go right. eat at the places that you've reviewed in the cities where, where, um, the infatuation has taken on the reviewing and, and make a decision about what kind of information is being given and how does that information relate to what their belly just experienced and what their eyes just experienced and, you know, the overall sense of the place. And to me, as an old school eater, I, I go to three places um, for information and I, I'll just be super candid with you. I, I, um, un until, you know, the, 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 with the, re the return of the book, um, Zagat has been sort of uh, in a third tier for me. I, the places I go are the infatuation and you're in however many cities you're in in the U.S. because um, it's an international operation. It's like eight or ten cities in the U.S. Is that right? No, we're at, uh, I guess in the U.S. we're at, with full-time staff. We're at 15 now and we have a oh, okay. full-time staff in London as well. And then we okay. cover all together with like, you know, travel guides and things like, like things like that. We cover like 25 cities around the world. Oh, okay. All right. I, I was just going by, you know, um, to just when I uh, ha happen to travel, what I populate. So I'm, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's broader than my own experience, which is not surprising. Um, but I also well, look at, e yeah, that's so we're going to talk about that. I look at eater and infatuation. Those are my two for information when mm -hmm. I'm traveling, when I go to a place and I have a specific kind of food that I want to try, or if I just want to see what the scene is about. Um, those are the two sure. places that I'll go. And um, infatuation has like what I typically regard as like the, the most information, the deepest dive. Um, and the, and the rating scale is, you know, helpful. It just, it's not always the case that, uh, infatuation, you know, is in every place that I'm at. So, you know, lots of yeah. times eater helps fill the gaps, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in sort of the footprint that you imagine for, for Zagat, um, how, uh, you know, it, it's got the, the big cities covered online. Um, what, what, what's the, the current, 
like inventory uh, of of Zagat cities and and reviews and so forth? Well, the current. I mean, there's. I don't know exactly off the top of my head how many cities there are uh, that there's content in based on what the, what you would call the current Zagat.com, which is what's there right now. And that what's there right now that you see at Zagat.com is really what um, Google had built and maintained. We've obviously been building something off to the side uh, since we bought it that we'll flip the switch on next year that will become, you know, the new, the new, the new Zagat. So what will happen when we flip the switch is you'll, you'll find a new Zagat.com that is crowd, you know, that is, that is crowdsourced. That's, you know, the, um, the much in the exact, the exact same way the book operates, there will be a survey that goes out that we collect information from, you know, savvy diners all around the country. I think we're going to have 25 different markets that we'll survey. And then, um, you know, we will launch it and then, you know, that will continue to happen over time as more people come in and take surveys and, um, populate the platform. So we think, and, and part of the reason that the GAT was a smart acquisition for us, we think is that it can help us very quickly fill in a lot of the gaps. Uh, as the infatuation moves a bit more tactically from city to city, just because, you know, the nature of, uh, you know, skilled staff writer and an editor in a market writing about the restaurants, it obviously moves slower than when you have, you know, for example, in, in New York, when you have, you know, many thousands of diners filling out surveys, you just get a lot more information um, a lot more quickly. So, I think you can think about us being in most of the major cities, if not all of them, around the U.S. Uh, to start with Zagat, and then we obviously want to be international as quickly as we can. And I think that'll be a big focus for us um, as a second as a second sort of uh, goal after we launch the the new product next year. So once um, the new product is up and running, what will the what do you imagine the interrelationship between the infatuation and and Zagat? That's something we're going to take step by step. It's such a big undertaking to build something like this from the ground up that we didn't want to burden ourselves with trying to figure out how all these things are going to interact in the future. Though we know we will want to do that, we know there will be opportunities for us to serve the users and the community in a way that's very effective by giving you what will ultimately be a critic score and then a community score, so to speak, to cross-reference. But I, I just really felt, I felt like if we tried to do all of that at once, it would just be quite a challenge to do it all well and we're still a, we're still a lean team and so we're basically now we're essentially the same size team as the, that we were when we bought the gat but with two brands and two um distinct missions so we're we're hiring and building out the company as we go but we're still a pretty small company you know at least relative to what we're trying to pull off so the first step will be getting the new zagat product out the door much in the way that the first step was just getting the zagat book to exist again and then over time, we'll. I think all we want to do is figure out ways that we can really um, serve people with information in a really effective way and in a way that makes people come to us instead of everybody else. Hungry homies, quick break from this delicious conversation with Chris Stang. I want to talk a little bit more about Aria Resort and Casino. Not that you needed an excuse to visit Vegas, but Aria Resort and Casino has everything from corner views in every room and award-winning dining to poolside pampering and five-star spa treatments. 
Aria embodies distinction. From technology advanced rooms to signature moments in the Aria Sky Suites and Aria Tower Suites, the Forbes Travel Guide five-star rated Aria Sky Suites are an unrivaled hotel experience offering a level of service and personalization unlike anything in Las Vegas, the city's entertainment. My Hungry Homies is not limited to the stages, casinos, or pools. And you know this, Aria brings the show to your dining table through their collection of chefs, restaurateurs, and unique dining concepts. For example, visit the Jean-Georges Steakhouse for specialty items like certified Kobe A5 and tableside smoked Wagyu brisket, oh, or take in the sights at the Bordeaux Brasserie, including old school beef Wellington, delicious Carbone, the Italian joint, captains guide you through dinner with Italian American masterpieces like the Dover Piccata, oh, and at Julia Serrano Tapas. You can share authentic plates among friends, including the Pata Negra. And the newest edition, Catch, is bringing an epic rendition of Asian-influenced sushi, seafood, and steak. All the excitement is located at the center of the Las Vegas Strip, only at Aria Resort and Casino. Visit aria.com to see how they Vegas. Culinary comrades, get a taste of paradise when you visit Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades on Florida's Paradise Coast. Known for white sand beaches, luxurious hotels, and the world-famous Everglades National Park, Florida's Paradise Coast is also one of the top dining destinations in these United States. Award-winning chefs and restaurateurs gather on Florida's Paradise Coast to take advantage of the area's year-round excellent weather, access to fresh ingredients, and diverse culinary culture. Do you love seafood? I already know the answer, hungry homies. Shrimp, scallops, mahi, snapper, grouper, all caught fresh in the Gulf of Mexico and served in their many restaurants. Paradise is also the stone crab capital of the world, so be sure to get a bite of those succulent claws. Stone crab season kicks off mid-October, so that's that's we're two months in with the annual stone crab festival, and it winds down mid-May, so plenty of time to go get your, your delicious stone crabs, my friends. You're feeling adventurous? Order some Florida alligator for some rustic Florida flair. Paradise Coast restaurants utilize farm-to-table ingredients, seasonal menus, and they offer options for many dietary restrictions without sacrificing flavor. Taste buds. Discover the citrus spike dishes, artisan cocktails, craft breweries, traditional southern comfort foods, and more that make Florida's Paradise Coast a must-travel location for any serious food person. Learn more at dineinparadise.com. Hungry Homies, today's House of Carbs also presented by our pals at Airbnb. Airbnb, I'll have you know, offers more than places to stay. They have one-of-a-kind activities as well. You don't even need to stay in a home to book an Airbnb experience. 
you can get a real taste of what it's like to eat like a local with cooking experiences. You can make and eat traditional meals with the people who know them best, like a sweet Italian grandma named Nona Narina. This is Rome, Italy, my, my hungry homies. Nona has been rolling pasta by hand for eight decades. She's going to teach you how to make her famous ravioli, cannelloni, and fettuccine with fresh ingredients from the Italian countryside. So many people have come to cook and eat in Nona's kitchen that she literally turned her tiny medieval village into a pasta destination. Taste buds, the cooking experiences are, are like being invited to a family dinner anywhere you go. You can do fresh ramen noodle making with a chef. You can do a churros and chocolate masterclass. If you want to share a local meal with a host like Nona Arena, then you could do that too. It's airbnb.com slash experiences. And you can also check all this out on the, on the YouTube. And I encourage you to do so. It gives you a real feel for what this experience is going to consist of. If you want to share a local meal with a host like Nona Arena, airbnb.com slash experiences. That's airbnb.com slash experiences. I'll share with you just how I have it organized now um, because I'm interested sort of vision wise how you, you this might sort of play out. So um, I think of Zagat as um, smart Yelp, like yeah. no offense. I don't I don't know whether or not Yelp ever has any interest in advertising. I'm not House offended of, by that at all. Trust me. <laughs> of House of Carbs. <laughs> but I, Yelp is terrible. I, I find it utterly useless. It's a it is a lowest common denominator information. And it's mainly filled with gripes. Um, so the, I never look at Yelp for any information as as it when it comes to me being food curious in, in a new city or even my own city. I, I find the information yeah. they impart. So if you if you have designs on buying Yelp, I'm sorry for saying all these bad things about it, but it's no, it's, no, you, I don't. I I have designs on replacing them, so it's all good. Oh, great! Well, terrific because um, the Zagat, you know, has a standard. It has a, a reputation. It has credibility. It is the original crowdsourcing. Those those quotes um, that that have been in the books and now online. Um, have the ring of truthiness. I believe that they that they they're not um, made up. I don't think that that Tim and Nina were sitting in their uh, apartment in in wherever they live in the city, you know, crafting these things out of whole cloth themselves. Um, <laughs> and and the infatuation has, to me, as I've um, gotten to know it, it's a deeper dive and has a kind of editorial voice a that that speaks a kind of uh, language. It imparts a kind of information that's different from crowdsourcing. It is more pointed. Yeah. It is more to me than, than the way that I receive it as a consumer of it. Like, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm a, I'm not I wouldn't call myself a serious food person. But I'm I'm more than just a, <laughs> I mean, an amateur. I mean, you have a pod, you have a podcast about it, so I would probably yeah. call you a pretty serious food person. <laughs> well, I don't take it that seriously, is the way I'll say it. That's and different. I, That's different. A, we we say that a lot, actually. We say that a lot around around the, the four walls of our company. We say this all the time that you don't you don't have to be serious about food to take it seriously. That okay, this is supposed to be fun, and it's supposed to be like you know people who are passionate about dining do it because it's something that gives them pleasure and gets them away from the things in life that suck. 
So right. why should it be so serious? Right. It's, That's it's like, great. You're right on the money with that. I'll, I'll steal that. That might become the new tag for the show because it really right. is. Uh, it's a great description. Types of information will remain as relevant to me going forward. So I'll just be excited to see how you guys, as you sort of navigate this and, and think about the marriage um, as it really gets going in 2020 and onward, you know, what kinds of information uh, makes sense and, and, and how it works. But right yeah. now they're, they're pretty complimentary, I think. Thank you. Yeah. I, look, you, you summed it up perfectly. And that, and what you said about, you know, the way that the, the content comes across and what the purpose for that content is, is exactly the way that we talk about it internally. And that's again, why we, I would agree that we think it's very complimentary. I think what it all comes down to, and, you know, this goes back to the rating system and all those other things is that, you know, it all comes down to trust and credibility and authenticity. And people have to believe that, you know, your intentions are correct, that you've done the homework and that you're um, acting responsibly and that you're not there just to take a shot at a restaurant if you're going to write something that isn't entirely positive and that, um, you know, it's why it's important that we on the infatuation side really communicate to people that we pay for all of our own meals and we dine anonymously. And um, that all kind of goes back to, I think, you know, what's happened over time with the internet is just that it's hard to know who to trust, especially when everybody has a voice. So when the opportunity for, you know, to purchase the GAT came along, it was really driven by that, which is just that, you know, trustworthy brands are really, really hard to build. And one of the most important uh, ingredients in the recipe of, you know, building a brand is time. And so, you know, you pointed out also that, the, you know, the infatuation is 10 years old. So we just, we feel like one of the most important assets that we have, that's really hard for someone to just come along and you know, take away from us or copy or steal is just that trust and credibility inside of both of the brands. So um, it's an easy thing to screw up. And that's what we all we have to talk about and make sure we're really smart about as we build and grow and expand and scale is that we can't lose that relationship of trust and credibility with um, with the audience and the element of, you know, authenticity and credibility has to remain intact with the brands. But once you have that, there's a lot you can do. Um, to make sure that you're serving people with high quality information. So we're still going to learn a lot as we go along and, and figure out, you know, especially as we think about where you might see both ratings and in, in, in the same place, that might be a window sticker or it might be um, on each, you know, respected digital product. We, we need to be smart about how that information is presented, but we're pretty confident that people understand it. I think you can look to Rotten Tomatoes as an example of, um, where that's done really well, well, they'll show you a critic score and a community score and people can make decisions based on that information. So, so something that I think helps um, both endeavors is like the third source of information that I actually um, do rely on, which is going to the newspaper in that place, uh, that location yeah. and finding the restaurant critic um, and, and, you know, taking on what they've looked at over, you know, you can quickly by way of the internet now, um, you know, take a look at what uh, uh, my Bill Addison and and Patricia, uh, I'm going to mess up her last name, Escarstega in, in L.A. are looking at and eating. And I can look at in D.C., Tom Sietzema, uh, I'm a, you know, avid consumer of his stuff in Austin, Texas. My man, Matthew course, Odom, yeah. Pete, Pete, Pete Wells in New York, right? Like all those folks are living in those places and eating um, what those places have to offer. So those are also vital information sources that provide a standard against which to measure 
the ratings that are emanating from places like the infatuation and and uh yeah. Zagat. And and ha, ha, like do you guys have a view as to how um those relationships the, between the various information sources what what's like the best um kind of uh quotient there? I think everybody's different. You know, everybody, you know, some people might, you know, instead of using those local writers and newspaper critics, they might use, you know, people they know on Instagram who live in those places that they feel are very credible. There's so many places you can go find information. And there's so many people who, um, who are doing this stuff the right way, who are, you know, passionate about food and want to help people discover things in their city and they're passionate about their city. And I think, you know, there's a, I think everybody has a little bit of a different mix in terms of the, the way they go about approaching a new city. Right. So for me, for example, um, when I like went to Copenhagen for the first time, I definitely, you know, researched stuff I could find online, but then I asked some friends and then I made a list of the restaurants that I wanted to go to. And I went and followed those restaurants on Instagram because I wanted like a little bit of visual on what the places looked like and what the kind of food looked like. And that's just happens to be my approach, but I think everybody's a little bit different. I think, you know, look, we, we should all want to support any local media that exists anywhere because it's a vital resource, whether it's in food writing or sports writing or whatever it is, it's something that needs to, to exist. So we're always very happy to, um, even though we compete with those platforms very often, I think they should be there. And, um, you know, we've, we've actually an example of this. It's been really fun and, and informative and useful and valuable to us is we've got really good relationships with a lot of the critics in London who still matter a lot because they just have a different media market. So a lot of the big newspapers still are really, really, really important. And, um, and it's only helped us to, you know, be a part of that community. It's not like we have to go in there and say, we're going to put all these people out of business because we, it's just ridiculous to think that. And also that, the more people there are out there helping provide this kind of information, it's, it's good for everyone. It's good for the restaurants. It's good for the communities and so on and so forth. So it's just an interesting time though, because I don't think there's, I really don't think that nowadays you can say that, well, this is the one way that everybody discovers a restaurant, or this is the one way that everybody consumes their news, or this is the one way that everybody, um, you know, approaches belonging to a community. It's everybody's different. So it's hard to be really prescriptive and say like, this is the, this is the this is the way that you're going to reach people and you're going to have 100% of the market share of restaurant discovery like that's not going to happen. Yeah, right. It it, it is uh cuz I I haven't even we haven't talked about some of the more traditional like media magazine media folks, the Bon Appetits, the Food and Wines, Thrillist is out there with with reviews. Um who else? Uh, Esquire yeah. just came out. Um I can't remember the guy's name. He he did his best restaurants. Jeff Gordonier. Jeff Gordon here exactly, uh, and he was very kind to DC. So I'm I'm, I'm going to get him on the pod. I want to talk to him about his experience here. Um, yeah, he but your your point is is right that like you know what's out there is kind of a, especially in food world tons of resources, and each individual person will customize based on uh, trusted resources. Like what I've all, I've looked at this thing before, and it has not um, steered me wrong. And it's a way to validate you know the decision making because. You know, for, for lots of taste buds, hungry homies out there, the act of going out and eating is as something that you mentioned before. Still, you know, it's it's a passion move. You're looking for food as a as yeah. a way of of like you know getting yourself out of the ordinary grind. 
um, and food, food, when you go to a restaurant, not just sustenance, you want the, the entire experience. You want all five of your, your senses, uh, tickled. So, um, I, I didn't expect that we were going to spend, uh, you know, half hour going through kind of the machinery, but it's, it's fascinating. And I'm glad that we did, you know, sort of don't, open you know, up the, don't, the don't, hood. don't tempt, don't, don't put me on here unless you're ready for me to talk a lot. Cause well, I, I just talk a it, lot. But. It, it is kind of a fascinating area because of the moment that we're in, in terms of the information and the resources are, that are out there. And what we're talking about is taking an, an old media resource, but a beloved one, at least to me, a book, that has information yeah. in it. And yeah. part part of what made the Burgundy Bible, and I can say it, I'm not worried about offending any uh, religious folks. They are already know that I'm a heathen. <laughs> no, they, no, I actually said a while ago, the best thing could happen is if we get banned from religious bookstores. This is a great story. <laughs> That's a great point. You're right. Good, but the good, Burgundy, pre- good press story. Yeah, you're right. The Burgundy Bible still is organized in an impeccable way. And, you know, having that trusted resource sort of back in, 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 in one's hands, um, to use is, 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 you know, a a welcome return. So I, I hope, um, you know, and I'm still able to, I'm still able to go eat in New York, uh, with, with some frequency, but, um, you know, for other folks in other parts of the country, Maybe maybe the 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 Burgundy Bible will show up on their bookstores again in their their locale. Now, I I um I want to cover a couple things. We we have the benefit of looking back at at 2019. We talked about the 10 year anniversary of the infatuation.com. Huge congrats. I hope um nobody can remember Thank the party you. because there was too much alcohol consumed. <laughs> we were too busy. We actually didn't. Andrew, my business partner was very upset that we didn't throw a party, but We'll do something someday. It's not. It's we not just, too late. You. you it's. It, we're, it's it's in party late. season we'll right something. now. Maybe we'll do something tonight. I'll put together yeah. something tonight. It's, you, December is the month. It's holiday party That's season. Right. It's time to celebrate all the great That's things right. that happened in 2019. On that note, um, I'm interested in um, what the experience has been in 2019 for the infatuation in terms of um, both kind of the, the foots on the ground, you know, folks doing reviews um, in the cities that the infatuation occupies, but also sort of like, what are you seeing as, as we turn the corner into, into 2020? So I know that's kind of uh, open-ended, but um, I don't yeah. have any idea of, of, of exactly what you're going to say. So I, I'm just interested in, in your experience, <laughs> the infatuation experience. Yeah, I think first and foremost, the thing that's been really encouraging and, and just great to see is I think that as we've continued to expand into new markets, we've really seen that almost every city in this country has a really exciting and interesting food scene happening now. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that information travels so quickly and that, you know, that's what Instagram and the internet has done for us. But, you know, trends can move really quickly from city to city. So you'll see, I mean, you know, trends like natural wine are obviously very, very, very big right now. And you'll see those trends pop up in, it doesn't, it's not just New York and LA and San Francisco. You'll see these things happening in Pittsburgh and in Cleveland and Seattle. And, um, and it's just cool because it really means that it's, you know, it doesn't take a lot of work to go find something really cool and interesting and great to eat in pretty much any city in this country right now. So, you know, we've seen a lot of um, really exciting stuff happening for us in Seattle and 
Um, Philadelphia's food scene right now is amazing and continues to just get more and more exciting over time. Um, we've obviously um, spent a lot of time in London and the food scene in London has absolutely exploded in the last couple of years. It feels a lot like what's happened in LA over the last you know five or 10 years. So um, I think a lot of it has to do with also just the creative class moving more from, you know, the big cities to, you know, call them, you know, secondary markets where their quality of life can be a little bit better based on um, the cost of living. And that's benefited places like, you know, Denver and like I said, Philadelphia and Detroit and places like that. So all that stuff is really exciting. Wine is a thing that we're um, spending a lot of time thinking about in terms of helping people. Um, become more knowledgeable about that subject. And it's something we'll be um, doing more of in 2020. And um, I think you can look at just the natural wine movement in the U.S. and and abroad and see that lots of new people and young people are being brought into um, a world of wine discovery that I think will only lead them further into that space. I'm really passionate about wine and have enjoyed learning about it over the years. So um, we're going to, you know, we, I just think that we see that, you know, there's no, there's certainly, I don't think any, um, any signs that people's interest in food is slowing down. It's just, you know, every single day, more and more young people and more and more, um, you know, uh, more and more people in more places have access to like really interesting and exciting stuff. And that's good for, for everybody. You know, I you, you mentioned a couple of things there that I want to follow up on um, because it, it resonated. You mentioned the creative class finding its way to um, uh, cities uh, and or, you know, places located next to cities where cost of living can accommodate um, folks who have uh, a passion for food or want to participate in the food industry but can't live in downtown Washington DC or downtown New York city and, and pursue that passion because it's, it's simply not affordable. It was kind of a revelation an eye opener for me last year. I was sat down with the folks um, cooking at the Momofuku in Las Vegas. And uh-huh. those guys and, and gals were talking about how affordable Nevada is um, once you sort of get, especially Las Vegas, once you get away from the the dumb strip and that there is a vibrant like food community there and where you can have a real standard of living um, and, you know, the combination of housing and taxes and just basic um, living prices in Las Vegas was was super accommodating. I think what you observe there about other kind of markets, like you mentioned, Denver, where, um, you know, there are, there are people with money in those places that are willing to spend money on food, you know, some disposable income and, you know, that, that, um, folks who want to make food, their their living in terms of cooking or participating in the food industry can go to those places and live in those places. Is there uh, other than than I, Denver? And I'm I know I know I'm putting you on the spot. Are there other cities where you kind of see that creative class, um, you know, sort of finding themselves and and building up a community like that? I'll say. I mean, I don't know that it's really it's starting. I don't know that we're quite there yet, but. Um... You will. The food scene hasn't, I don't think, quite gotten to the place uh, to where it feels like, oh my God, there's lots of really, really interesting things happening. But I think it's coming. Phoenix has been really interesting because um, what you'll what you'll notice when you go there is, you know, jump in an Uber or a taxi or talk to a waiter or a, you know somebody in the service industry that you might 
come across and you'll find tons and tons of people who have moved there recently from Los Angeles um, because it's, you know, somewhat similar and the cost of living is a fraction of what it is in LA and LA recently has gotten so much more expensive over the last five years. Um, so I think naturally what you see is then, you know, it's just like anything else. And this has been a, a story of, you know, America for so long is that the creative class will come to a place that, you know, is, is more affordable than one of the big cities. And then what they bring with them is art and restaurants and like cool stuff that everybody wants to live near. And then everybody else follows. And ultimately, unfortunately, the creative class gets priced out again and they go somewhere else. But that's sort of what you see happening in a lot of these places. I mean, I worked in the music business for a long time and, you know, it didn't take long before zero of my artists that I worked with in the music industry were living in New York. They all left because if you're in a band and, you know, you're just trying to get by touring and doing whatever, you know, it's much easier to go find a house to live in in a place like Phoenix and, you know, go on the road and pay 400 bucks a month for your living costs than it is to do that in LA or New York or whatever. So I think you can look at lots of these cities. Cleveland is one. I mean, you can kind of just pick whichever, you know, pick a bunch of cities that, um, you know, aren't those sort of coastal, you know, mega uh, economic hubs. And you'll find really interesting, talented people doing great stuff. And I think one thing that I would say is that also, when you get out of these places in which, you know, rents are super high and cost of living is super high, it also means that the cost of restaurants can be lower, which means that you don't have to have people. It doesn't have to be all about people of high net worth. It can be people who are, you know, middle class and working class who can experience these things because you're not having to price the food and the experience so high to pay for some outrageous, you know, rent. So that's what's kind of nice about it too, is you can go have these experiences in many of these cities and it's, it's a lot more affordable than it would be in a place like, um, like New York or LA or San Francisco. So it's a, it's exciting because you, you really are seeing, I think, um, a lot of really great cities benefit from talented chefs and restaurateurs going and taking their skills and their ideas to places that may not have them right now. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, I was fortunate to get down to Memphis, Tennessee this summer and I, yeah, unbelievable food things going on down there that are not just barbecue or fried chicken. There are chefs like Andy Tyser and his partner, Michael Hudman, that are down there, like kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a mini empire. I'm just giving them a shout out because I ate at three or four of their That's restaurants awesome. when I was down there. And it was like, you know, they're doing innovative, like, you know, they're taking Southeastern traditions, Southern traditions and, and you know, ramping them up on it here into the 21st century and the places that are cool and the, and the food is delicious. And, you know, it's, it's exactly, I think what you're describing the thing that 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 um, you mentioned earlier that I'm still trying to get my arms around is what's going on in London. So what's going on in London? Why why is there something that's that's like a, a sort of change in direction? They're like wh- why are they all of a sudden? What's the accelerant? Um, well, do you think that's going on there? I mean, I I don't know that I would be the best person to ask about the sort of um, you know macroeconomic trends that that drove a lot of this, but I will yeah. tell you that it is definitely. It is definitely it is definitely connected to the fact that it was it it at least was and you know uh, easy for people from other European countries to come and work there and to do and to bring you know a, a bit more um, diversity to uh, 
London in terms of cuisine and, um, you know, just ideas and experiences that, that made it more interesting than it had been for many, many years. I mean, you go, the craziest thing about London that's so great is you go and you can find so many, um, you know, cuisines represented that, you know, you won't, that you wouldn't find in, you know, a lot of other places around the world. I mean, there's lots of great African food. You'll find a lot of Turkish food. You'll find a lot of other Middle Eastern food. You'll find great, um, different regional Chinese cuisines. Yeah, all of it's there and it's so interesting. And, um, and it's all done, you know, there's just, there's just a big, broad range of restaurant, you know, types and experiences that you can have that's really different than anywhere else, I think, in the world right now. And I don't know, you know, Brexit will play some role in this for sure, depending on whatever happens over the next, you know, couple of years. But um, it, it does feel a lot. And I think LA, you know, changed for very different reasons, but it feels the same. If you spent any time in LA, where really it just, it was almost like a four year span where just all of a sudden so many interesting things were happening all around that city. I mean, you can look at LA and just as one example, think of like squirrel, right. Which is in yeah. this part of, you know, I guess it's technically silver Lake, but it's in a, you know, kind of a funky off the beaten path part of silver Lake that you wouldn't just necessarily happen upon. But I'm sure that, you know, the, when they went into there, the reason, you know, the rents were reasonable and they could try something interesting because the rents were reasonable. And then the next thing you know, there's this really, um, unique and amazing restaurants that exists in a place that may have been harder to pull off in a more expensive market. And, and London is similar. I mean, there's a, there's a restaurant that has two locations now that started in a shipping container, um, an Indian restaurant called cricket. And, um, you'll find examples of that all over that city. A lot of it has to do with also the fact that London is really spread out the same way that LA is. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can find little nooks and crannies in between high traffic areas where, you know, um, people can discover you, but maybe you're not paying some high price for a super high end neighborhood, but you're like in between it. And that's harder to do in a place like DC or, you know, New York where the population is more densely packed in. So, you know, there's probably a lot of other factors that I'm not a hundred percent aware of that have driven it, but it's amazing. I mean, I've been over there so much as we built our team up and, um, and it's actually been really good for us because I think what was good for us in LA that's good for us in London is that we're kind of growing up with that city's restaurant scene as well. So as people are starting to discover it, they're starting to discover us as well. And, and we're becoming a part of their journey of discovery. And that's the best case scenario for us. So well, I, I would we, highly, highly recommend going over there and spending some time and eating your way through that city. And, um, and it's interesting too, because even some of the same stuff that we've been talking about with the creative class, I mean, you'll see now outside of London, other markets that are starting to get really interesting food scenes going as well, like Bristol and Manchester. So it's, it's just super fascinating. Yeah. I, I, um, haven't been to London in a decade and, oh, um, man. I've been hearing, you know, bits and pieces of the kind of inf what, what you're describing about what's been happening there. And, and I, I bet it's like, you know, uh, a, a radically different place than, than what I observed um, you're gonna need a, that, you're gonna that need decade ago. Time off for sure. You're going to need yeah. a couple of weeks. I'll give you a list of about 40 different places you should check out, but Oh no, yeah, Unbelievable. but that's, you know, that's kind of, I'm, I'm glad you made that analogy to LA. Cause I do think, um, uh, it, it kind of resonates my own experience. I've been out to LA a bunch of times over the last five years and, there's like, feels like there's two things going on. There's, there's innovation, um, that's sort of born of, um, folks finding 
an affordable way to introduce their ideas. And I had the good fortune of chatting with John and Vinny um, of the John and Vinny empire out there um, earlier. Yeah, they're a huge part of that. This year. Yep. And then the, the like the democratization of information where there are latent food scenes in a place like Los Angeles that have been there for 25 or 30 or 40 years, but they are, they feel like they are being discovered. And this is, you know, um, all of the, I'm confessing all of the sort of, uh, class bias and all the stuff that goes along with, you know, not knowing enough about Koreatown in, uh, Los Angeles, because that's not what my experience would have taken me to 15 or 20 years ago. And the same is true of like the San Gabriel Valley, the Chinese food there, but now, because of the the rising tide of information and people's interests and curiosity in trying um, foods from other traditions, you just all of a sudden it feels like a, a city that 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 you didn't know about. Like Jonathan Gold was was your intrepid, um, you know, tr- traveling food guide in a place like Los Angeles. But he he could only he's one human doing all of that work. And so, um, the comment, like, yeah. like, no, you know, go ahead. That's a good, that's a good point. It's not like there hasn't, there wasn't great food in LA before, you know, five years ago, but I think to your point, the information part of it's really important. There's also just simple things like ride sharing has made it much easier in Los Angeles to go, you know, travel a little bit further than you might've for dinner because you want to have a couple drinks at dinner things like that actually play into it as well. And yeah, I mean, again, London's had you know, a food scene for a long time as well. But I think what we all look at, I think when, when we think about like a place that you're excited to eat is you want to, you want to see a big broad range of stuff, right? Like you want to be able to have, you know, um, the sort of an option to do the fine dining thing if you want, and you want to be able to do the super casual stuff as well. And, you know, that range, I, whenever I think about a great food city, I think about like, does it have that range? Is there, is there a bunch of different stuff I want to try from all different price points and all different cuisines and, if so, then I'm excited to go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I want to touch on one last thing, and then I'll I'll let you go. Um, what we we've covered already is kind of the the big part of this, which is what's happening in 2020. What's up the infatuations sleeve for for 2020? Getting the the Zagat uh, off the ground. You know the 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 true sort of um, infatuation vision for Zagat, um, and, and, you know, restoring some of, of, uh, the, 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 uh, ethos of, of Zagat that made Zagat its own unique thing. Um, I'm very excited about, about all of it. What else do you guys have up your sleeve for 2020? Uh, lots. I mean, look, we're, you know, we're obviously pushing into a bunch of new cities next year with the infatuation and we're just going to continue to slowly expand until we've taken over the world. Um, can you, can you talk about what on, cities can we say what cities? Yeah. So early, early next year, we'll, we'll launch, um, full operations in Houston and Dallas. Awesome. Um, and then, um, you know, a bunch of other stuff will come after that. We are investing more in some of the cities that we're already in. So putting more people on the ground in places like Atlanta and Philadelphia and Boston, we're seeing, um, you know, really good traction, uh, San Francisco, places like that. But, uh, we probably won't do anything else internationally, at least in terms of launching new markets. But we'll, um, you know, obviously we're continuing to build out the uh, the festival business. Uh, we won't add new markets next year, but we'll continue to grow EatsCon both in New York and Los Angeles. That's been really, really great for us. You'll also see, I can't get into exactly what right now, but you'll see us do some 
um, some festival experiences outside of the U.S. in some pretty interesting markets next year, which we'll we'll let you know about as soon as we can announce. Um, we launched a membership program in New York where people can sign up to be a friend of the infatuation, which basically gets you gets you like first access to our events. It gets you discounts with some of our best brand partners. It gets you. Um, we're doing some travel guides now that cover hotels and things to do in a lot of the cities that we have content in. And it's really they, just meant to be kind of like a a supercharged community. So we launched that in New York and it'll launch in LA next year as well. And that'll can be it get you a, too, so. can it get, can, can it get you a reservation? I mean, that's, that's, that's the that hardest part, thing. That part we don't do, that part yeah. we don't do yet, but uh, we'll see what we can manage over time. That would be my, that would be my recommendation. Get, get, access is, is, key, is key. Access is key. That's what, what it's all it about. It's the hardest thing. To, it's the hardest thing to deliver too. I hear you, my man. I hear you. Well, that that that's exciting stuff. I I uh, one last question, then I'll let you go. You, you were it's December the fourth today that we're taping this. Um, tell me what it, uh, holiday tradition slash venue between now and and New Year's you're most excited to 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 go experience. And it doesn't have to be New York. Myself, it could be anywhere. Per, yeah, yourself. Personally? Yeah, yeah. The Stanger experience. So my- Let's hear it. My family, my family does two things. So we do, uh, well, the most important thing, I guess, between now and Christmas and New Year's is we'll be in Breckenridge. Uh, we take a house up there and ski for the, a couple of days in the snow. For those of you that are ski and snowboard enthusiasts, the snow in the, in the, at least the Colorado part of the Rocky mountains is outrageous, uh, this year. And we, we do, uh, food wise, we order a smoked turkey from Texas. There's a company called Greenberg smoked turkeys. Oh. And uh, they'll ship anywhere, and they're amazing. They're really, okay. really good. So we'll get a Greenberg smoked turkey. We'll we'll drink some wine. We'll drink some wine, and we'll ski with the Hangover for a few days. So that <laughs> I'm excited about. I love it. That's a great tradition. And you know, I uh, we had Andrew Knowlton on last week, who was um, doing kind of a, a Texas Thanksgiving. But he, he he mentioned a tradition. He orders a goose from a place called Schiltz. Have you heard of of the Schiltz goose? No, I feel like you oh. know, I need to trade some tips on. Well, this is it. Mail, so mail mail order Christmas birds. Yeah, so I'm I'm so excited. We're giving out to all the taste buds, our hungry homies out there. That Schiltz is up in the Dakota somewhere. We we, we oh, weren't cool. sure whether it was north or south. And and Greenberg is in is in Texas. So you got your smoked turkey from Texas and your your uh, roasted goose from from. Uh, the Dakotas. I mean, it sounds like half of the Christmas table is already taken care of. You're done. That's the best part about it. You don't have to do anything. It just shows up in the mail. That's the whole point. That's it. My man, Chris Stang, always a pleasure. This is very exciting so much. stuff that's going on uh, with both the infatuation and, and Zagats. I'm, I am going to buy the red book, the Burgundy Bible. Um, just because I love touching it. I love looking at it. It's a fun way to spend, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And especially on the train ride from DC up to New York, as I think about, Absolutely. you know, what, what place I might try and sneak into, I might have to call somebody to get it's a great. reservation, but. Yeah, I can't help you there, but it is a great Christmas gift. So, you know, <laughs> just in case people are looking for last minute stocking stuffers. There you uh, go. Don't, don't look any further. All right. Chris Dang, you're always welcome. Come right, on awesome. again soon, my friend. Thank you. All right, there we go, my culinary comrades. Thank you very much to Chris Stang. Lots of exciting things going on at the Infatuation 
and Zagats, go get the Burgundy Bible. If you have any reason at all to be in New York in 2020, you've got the Bible handy. And you can also go online and do all that kind of stuff. But the Burgundy Bible, I'm telling you, if you haven't held one before and looked through it, it's really an iconic reference tool. And I'm excited to have it back in my life. Hungry Homies, we are back in your lives next week with a brand new episode of House of Carbs. Going to be a little bit DC focused. There are some folks doing some really interesting food things here in Washington, DC. And I'm I'm feeling a little bit local over this holiday season. Do us a favor, send us your pictures if you have one of an old Zagats from whatever city, from whatever era. We'll throw those up on the IG at the House of Carbs is our Instagram address. Hit us up. We'll post some stuff up there. We love uh hearing from from all the taste buds out there. We're back next week with a little DC flavor. Until then, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry out there.